On this week's edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast, of course, we have to talk about the Man Cup because Game 5 is on Wednesday. Kurt Miloski of the Calgary Roughnecks stops by trying to get some novice players a provincial title. With the draft fast approaching, NLL teams are trying to fill out their roster with some free agent signings. And since the draft is coming, I'm going to step on my soapbox. All that more on OTCD. I am an It all comes down to Wednesday night. The Maple Ridge Brards are on the brink of elimination and the Six Nations Chiefs are 60 minutes away from winning the 2016 Man Cup. Good evening and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, or maybe even good morning, wherever you're listening to. My name is Teddy Jenner. Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL radio uh this is a little delayed i decided to wait until the end of game four and what a game it was for the second consecutive night the six nations chiefs take a 9-7 victory over the maple ridge barrards they now have a 3-1 series lead and are that much closer to sir donald Mann's choust cup uh Let's talk about this man cup. Uh, just so you know, Kurt Miloski is going to join us here in a few minutes, uh, head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks. He's got a bit of an initiative to try to get the novice-aged players uh, a provincial championship tournament here in the province of British Columbia. So we'll talk to him about that. And then obviously we'll uh, segue into the upcoming draft and see what he's thinking as his Calgary Roughnecks pick fifth. Uh, in the first round of the draft. So uh, we're looking forward to talking to Mouse in a little bit. We'll also talk about some free agent signings and the upcoming draft. Uh, and then next week, it'll be a prelude to the draft. So we'll have Steve Govett on, and we'll try to talk to uh, a couple of the guys that might go early on in that draft as well. But obviously, the focus of the lacrosse world right now is uh, in Six Nations and at the Man Cup. And what a series we've had so far. Uh, this is the first time we've actually really had a chance to talk about it since the series started on Friday. And you could see that first game, you know, I kind of thought Maple Ridge would come out um, and win that opening game. It's usually the game uh, the road team's going to win if they have a chance. It's just kind of a, a tone setter, and there's the feeling out process, and we kind of saw that. But, you know, once Maple Ridge got to 5-5, in that second period, I thought, oh, okay, they've they've woken up, they, they've gotten used to everything, and then Maple, sorry, and then Six Nations just kind of went on of a run, and they never relinquished the lead. And then the next night, Maple Ridge kind of did the same thing. Uh, they got down, they scored five straight over the first and second period, and then they never relinquished the lead again. And that set us up for this week and the last two games. And let me tell you. They've been two of the best games I've seen. And for all those people, you know, who still think the Brards are done, even though they're down 3-1, let's not count them out. You know, they went to overtime last night. They gave up a lead late, which is uncharacteristic of them, but it's really hard to stop the Six Nations Chiefs 6-on-5. They're, they're just too good. And that toe drag from Craig Point on the overtime tower, the game-tying goal to send it to overtime, was just ridiculous. And then there was the, the two goals in overtime, one by Austin Stats, the other by Cody Jamison, who continues to defy the odds and play on a surgically on a knee that's going to need surgery. And those were the two goals that were the difference. And then on Tuesday night, Maple Ridge started off with the early goal. Six Nations tied it. They went back and forth. 
And then Six Nations has the lead late. Maple Ridge trying to tie it. They pull Frankie. They had a couple opportunities. And then Billy D. Smith scoops up a loose ball, races the length of the floor, and buries it into the empty net. I thought he might have just tried to kill time, but he didn't have the support. And at that point in time, just putting it into the empty net to cement it was probably the right idea. And that's the second straight game that it's 9-7. And the Berards are right there. Uh, they've been snake-bitten. Uh, they've hit a lot of posts, as have the Chiefs. But, you know, the running commentary that I see a lot of people is uh, the penalty discrepancy and how it's always so hard to play on the road and you get the referees going against you and, and you never, you know, it's never easy. Uh, tonight the penalties were fairly even. Sorry, in Game 4, the penalties were pretty even. In Game 3, it was kind of lopsided in favor of the Chiefs. But it happens every year in every Man Cup, no matter what. Casey Cook tweeted out uh, yesterday, uh, it's nothing new, especially when the West wins the Man Cup. The OLA will never let the West have both trophies. You know, I don't buy into that as much. Yes, when you have an Eastern ref and a Western ref battling, sometimes they'll try to make up calls. But I like to give the ref the referees the benefit of the doubt, even though it, sometimes it's blatant. But it's tough, man. Sometimes emotions get involved as a referee. But for the most part, I think the referees have done a pretty good job. There's been some questionable calls, but there's questionable calls in every game. And... Monday night's game was a little suspect. Tuesday night's game was, I think, a better game. It was fairly clean. There was no penalties even called in the third period at all. The one big thing that, that kind of might have hurt the Berards was losing Owen Barker for the game when he took a high-sticking major uh, late in the second period. So they were down a man for the rest of the game. But I think that this Berards team, uh, they've played a lot of lacrosse, as have the Chiefs. You know, they're right there. Uh I know they would love to have Mike Mallory producing a lot more. Um, he's looked timid. He's looked frustrated. He's looked injured at times. Uh, I'm not sure. He's got to be battling something as most guys are. But for me, you just see this punishing defense of the Chiefs continuing to impose their will. And I know the Berards are playing fantastic defensively. They're, they're keeping the shots to the outside. They're trying to limit the opportunities inside. Frankie's playing fantastic. But the shots are just, you know, they were closer in game four. But Frankie saw 115 shots through games two and three. That is a lot of rubber. In game four, he saw another 50 shots. So that's 165 shots in three games. And for a guy that just doesn't ever want to come out of the net, he's okay with seeing heavy amounts of rubber. But that's just a lot. I think you need to limit the number of shots Six Nations is getting. You know, if you want to let them fire from the outside, you know, if that's the way Six or Maple Ridge wants to play, that's the way they play. They rely on Frankie. He's their, you know, he's their workhorse. And they're going to ride him as far as they can. And that road could end tomorrow. It could end on Wednesday night. As Game 5 goes live from the Iroquois Lacrosse Arena in Six Nations, uh, we still don't know um, if it's going to be broadcast uh, on YouTube. You heard Stephen Stamp, if you're watching the webcast, um, basically begging. Uh, he joked about it, but he was basically begging uh, for anybody to sponsor. Um, if Off the Crossbar was a major entity, we'd sponsor it. Um, but I'm just some guy in a radio studio, so unfortunately I can't do that. But I would love... 
to see the Canadian Lacrosse Association step up to the bat and say, here, guys, here's whatever you need for the final three games of the series. You know what? There have been, you know, the Dreamcatcher Foundation, um, Six Nations, traditional lacrosse, uh, lacrosse all-stars, um, Thompson Brothers lacrosse, all these people who have forked up money. That's awesome, and we thank you, especially us folks on the West Coast who get to watch these games as soon as we get home from work. But I would love for the CLA just to step up and say, hey, guys, let's do this. We have a fantastic series. Let's keep it going. And let's give as many people as possible a chance to watch this game. Uh, a couple notes uh, that I've taken away from this series. Um, the uh, Cody Jamison flop uh, in Game 4 was fantastic. Um, Sonny Smith Box Twitter account said uh, the Russian judge gave it a perfect 10 for 10. Um, it's not the first time Cody's tried to embellish a call and go the refs into making a call. Uh, a couple years ago... In an NLL game against Calgary, uh, he basically went up and grabbed Andrew McBride's stick and slashed himself in the head and then fell to the ground trying to get a call. Um, I love Cody. I think he's one of the best players in our game, but it's that kind of stuff that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, I think Luke Gillespie has been absolutely fantastic for Maple Ridge. He sat out the first game, and uh, he's been just absolutely incredible. Uh, he just continues to play solid minutes for Maple Ridge. And, you know, he's got six goals. He's got ten points in the three games that he's played. And he continues to be a force. He continues to get to the front of the net. He continues to cause, you know, havoc. And he's one of their top goal scorers. And he was a bit of a role guy for him during the regular season. So uh, great to see Luke contributing. As mentioned, uh, they would love to have Mike Mallory getting some goals. He has yet to score in this man cup. And that is unlike Mike Mallory. He was their leading scorer during the regular season. And like I said earlier, it looks to me like he's battling something, whether it's a, a, a leg injury or what, uh, but he just doesn't seem to be the useful and very successful and dangerous Mike Mallory that Western fans saw in the WLA. Um, the story of Cody Jameson is going to be one that's going to be told uh, for years to come. Uh, I hope they make a 30 for 30 documentary just because what he's doing to try to bring Six Nations another man cup is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Dan Dawson continued to climb up the scoring charts. Uh, I think he's about five points um, away from tying Colin Doyle uh, for fourth all time in man cup scoring. Uh, he was like 30 odd points back. I didn't think he was going to get all the way to fourth, but he's already got 23 points in four games. So uh, if this game go, if this series goes six, he's definitely going to get there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he surpasses his sort of Six Nations teammate Colin Doyle uh, tomorrow night on Wednesday in game five. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. But I, as well as both goalies have been, uh, Dylan Ward and Frankie Shiliano just lights out. Like both guys have been absolutely phenomenal all series long, and they will continue to be and they are two of the best young goaltenders in the game right now. But I think probably my favorite player to watch in this series has been Austin Stotts. Uh, I talked to him, or I talked about him uh, a bit last week, and I said he was going for his fourth straight national championship. I got the titles wrong. Um, he won a Founders and then back to back Mintos 
and now he's going to go for a man cup. He's got 10 points in four games, seven goals, three assists, and he just loves to play the game. He battles. Uh, he's creative with a stick. We all saw some of his highlights and things that he did uh, during the World Junior Championship out in Coquitlam this year, the U19 FILs. Uh, he was just a sensational, and he continues to do it now in the Man Cup. And the crazy thing is, and I know they talk about this on the webcast all the time, Austin Stats is 18 years old. Like, Christian Del Bianco was 18 and won a Minto. Austin Stotts had three championships before he was 18. That's just silly. He's going for his fourth before his 19th birthday. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, he's still got a few years before he's even eligible for the NLL draft. And I don't see him um, rescinding any... NCAA eligibility anytime soon. I would expect him to go a full four years down south uh, and then come out. And when he comes out, like, I bet you GMs are already drooling, waiting for that number one pick in, I think, four years. Because there's going to be some good names coming out. The NLL draft is about uh, two weeks away. Um, there are some good names in this draft. It's a very top-heavy draft. It's not a very deep draft, but there are drafts down the road uh, that are going to be a very lucrative for some NLL teams. And Austin Sats is one of those names to keep an eye out for in the coming years. But just sit back and enjoy some of the things that he does. Just the, the nonstop work ethic, the tireless work ethic. Um, not a great interviewer. <laughs> if you saw the interview that he had uh, at the end of Game 3, don't worry, Kimbo Squires was still worse. Um, but he'll learn. He's still young. It'll come. Uh, but uh, just a, a real treat to watch. Uh, so are the Porter brothers. I just absolutely love their game. I know uh, they are just tireless workers. And I'm already excited for Game 5 tomorrow night. It is going to be an absolute beauty. Uh, just so everybody knows, Dan Dawson uh, has 23 points. Um, and leads the Six Nations Chiefs and all point getters here in the Man Cup. Ben McIntosh is second with 18, followed by Dane Smith, who has 16, and Ryan Banesh, Randy Stotts, and Dan Taylor all have 14. Um, so again, uh, tomorrow night, 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, Man Cup game five. Stay tuned to Twitter. You can follow me at Off the Crossbar or follow uh, the Major Series on Twitter or JVI or Stampers. Someone will tweet out, information if this game will be webcast for free uh, or if it'll be broadcast at all. I don't see how they can't. Uh, somebody's going to have to do something, take out a loan, uh, win a lotto, go panhandle somewhere downtown Toronto. I don't know. Make it happen. Get it on air. Uh, I really like the Berards in Game 5. They're just, you know, I, I know they're close. Um the thing is, and, you know, it's a huge sports cliche. The last game's the hardest game to win. And, you know, there's always the hype and the pomp and circumstance. And in the back of your head, you know, you've got maybe a change of clothes for after. Uh, you maybe sneak in a couple things, maybe a cigar or two for a little celebration in the locker room. That all goes in the back of your head when you know that you can win a championship. And I think the Berards need to capitalize on that. They need 
the ability to just go in and play with reckless abandon. They need to play the same game they played the last three games because they are right there. And if they play with the intensity that they have in the last three games and maybe find that killer instinct, a couple of those posts go in, the Berards are right back in this series 3-2, forcing a game six on Friday. Uh, Frankie Chiliano is going to be huge as je- as usual. Um, they need to get that offense, you know, rested, get him home, get him into my ice baths, um, and just come out firing. I don't know if Sato will make too many lineup changes. Uh, the roster's pretty good right now. I this group is probably the group he'll go with. Might make a few changes on the back end, but I really don't see it happening. Um, Six Nations has been tinkering with their lineup most of the series, uh, whether it be injuries or jobs or, or what have you. But let's go out, let's go ahead and say the Berards win Game Five and force Game Six. I'm on it. I'm behind it. Berard Street Bullies are going to take Game Five. Moving on to this week's guest, uh, he is a Man Cup champion. He won it in 2001 with the Coquitlam Adnacks, and that year kind of stings for me. Um, I will never forget that 2001 year, mostly, uh, well, for a few reasons. Uh, it was the last year I got to play with my brother. Um, the Victoria Shamrocks went 19-0-1. First team to ever go undefeated, I think. At least that's what the back of our shirts said. Um, but also because we lost to the Coquitlam Adnacks in six games. And they would go on to defeat the Brampton Excelsiors. Is it Brampton Excelsiors? Yeah, it's Brampton Excelsiors. In, in a thrilling, thrilling seven-game series uh, that was played at the uh, p and Agrodome uh, in Vancouver. It was just an incredible scene. Um, those that don't remember, Colin Doyle and Kimbo Squire uh, created an incredible high pick and roll uh, way up high in the offensive zone that led to a two-on-one, and then the game-winning goal scored by Doyler. It was just, uh, it was an incredible, an incredible scene, uh, an incredible man cup, and uh, Kurt Miloski was a member of that team, and he joins us now on the show. Uh, Kurt, how are you, buddy? I'm good, how are you? Uh, I'm really well. Um, it's been a, a busy summer, I'm sure, with you coaching, you know, your kids in lacrosse, and now you got the kids in hockey. Um, but you're trying to start a bit of a movement and get uh, novice into the provincials. What's the motivation behind it? I just think that, you know, obviously for BC kids, they got to be. We're, I don't think we're competitive enough at a young age. I, I you know, I've been been back now for the Pee Wee Nationals for two years in a row. I went back with Fridgy as an assistant coach, and I had my group go back there, and we we got wallpapered by Ontario. We got beat eight mm-hmm. nothing um, the year before. We lost, I think it was eleven two in the final, and and they they pulled the foot off the gas, and you know, early in the second, and they were respectful, but we weren't even close. Yeah. And uh, I think it's grassroots. I really do. I. I'm tired of hearing logistics, and I'm tired of hearing numbers eight to one kids. Like to me, that's that's a cop out. Like we have a lot of real good BC kids. We mm-hmm. get better with age. Come Bantam, come Midget, we're we're more competitive. A chance to beat Ontario. Um, but I think if we can attack it at a young age, I think I really think um, we need to play more competitive, meaningful games. And and I, I think if we can do that, I think by the time we get to Pee Wee in those nationals, mm-hmm. it's not such a punch in the face and, and the fact that, oh, geez, there's some adversity here or look how good these kids are because we, we just need to, to make sure that we get these young guys competing and understanding what, 
championship lacrosse is all about. Is is it too young to start kids at that age, though? I don't think so. Like, um, definitely in Ontario, they play. They play. We call it beneath ice here. They play called. I think they call it peanut back there, or something to that effect. And and they play for they play for a championship. Believe it or not, in Ontario, yeah. like they they'll go to they'll call it a jamboree. They'll play five games. And yeah. if you you know Tracy Kluski's kids, they won five five games in a row. They're five and zero. Oh, and the Whitby team was four and one. And everybody in the rink knew that the Peterborough team was the best. And wow. they do that at that young age. Is that young out here? Absolutely. Like I, that's a little bit over the top. There's some mm-hmm. parents who say, "Oh, I'd like to do that too." I'm a realist. Um, I don't even like. I'd like to see Pike get a little bit more competitive, and I have yeah. some ideas on that. But that's down the road. Um, anyone wants to hear them, I think they're 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 good. Um, but I know that people have tried to cheer Tyke back in the day. Yeah. Um, I think the competitive kids would like a competitive environment at that young age, and the non-competitive kids that are just trying to learn the game would do that. But so I'm not really going after those two age groups because that hopefully would suffice to people to say, hey, it's a little bit young. But yeah. nine and ten, you're playing tournaments for a winner. You're playing, you, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to the high act tournament. You're playing for a winner there, and you're go, you know, you're going to the Crosby at the end. You're playing for a winner there, and so I, I you know, I think these kids have an appetite for it, and. You should have seen the look on our kids' faces when, when Oakville and Orangeville walked away from the Crosby with a gold and silver, yeah. and and Juan de Fuca won the bronze, and they said we're the best in the province. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, basically, yeah. basically our our provincial so-called quasi-provincial championship went 4,200 kilometers across the country, and they yeah. laughed. And they literally laughed at us and said, huh, "We're the best in BC too." And I, and I'm, and I'm, some people probably don't care about that, and that's not my competitive juices. It's not really driving it. I just yeah. sat back for a couple of years. And I said, okay, how do we make this better? So, you know, I come up with a bit of a plan and an idea that we can get some novice provincials going. And, and that way that when Ontario does go, because they're coming next year, Orangeville's coming next year, and they will win. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm not I'm not throwing any of the BC teams under the bus. I hope we win. I'm going to cheer for BC till the cows come home. But they're going to win it, and we're going to be in the same spot. So what do our kids that, that got beat by these Ontario teams do? They, they get, a, yeah. get a chance to dust themselves off and go out and compete for the provincial championship and be the best in our province. And then that segues into them competing for Team BC jobs yeah. the following year in Kiwi. So you kind of mentioned the, the Crosby Thorn being the quasi-provincial sort of championships, but would this take away some of the – obviously would take away from teams putting all-star teams together and have a true provincial. What's the – What's the sounding board like? Are you getting a lot of people interested in, in, in jumping on this and getting novice in, back into the provincials, or is it still pretty green? I, I got a lot. I, I tried to present this um, a while back. I went up to Whistler, and just, I, I was fortunate enough to have uh, 10 minutes on a Friday night, and I presented it. And people were very you know, receptive to what I had to say about building this up. Because I got numbers that go with with, go with um the, why we're so far behind like mm-hmm. and I, if we got time on this call up like you, we could break it down a little bit oh, absolutely. and it, it'll make sense and I, I presented all that and everyone thought it was a great idea and then it kind of yeah. just went away for a little bit so now I kind of try to get it back again and uh, you know I've kind of brought it back with it with the novice idea of the novice provincial so as far as the Crosby goes like I'm indebted to Jack he taught mm-hmm. me so much a couple mental cups directly because of Jack and what he taught me. So I don't want to take away anything that Jack's put forward because I know he took great pride in the Crosby. All I want to do is move the, move the date back, move it back yeah. a little bit, keep it a national tournament because I know Jack is, is smiling when he sees those teams from Calgary. And he yeah. sees those teams coming in from Ontario. That's important. 
and it's important for our BC kids to play that level for mm-hmm. sure, like to see the Ontario kids. But when it's all said and done, there's still room, I think, that we can have our own our own provincial championships and not have to go that deep into July. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is it a, a pro? Is it sort of the same issue we're seeing, um, you know, in senior A and junior A that Ontario's dominant just on based on pure numbers? Uh, well, there's a part of it. There's a percentage. There's no question there is, and I'd be silly enough to say no, there's not. But let, but, but that's that is what I said earlier. Like logistics and size of the province yeah. is massive, and they're going to get all the best kids. But 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 that's been a defeatist attitude we've had in BC. We just said yeah. it's okay to lose because they got more, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. that's fine because there's a like I said, there's a percentage that that is true. That's fact. That is what it is. That's black and white. You yeah. can't change that. But there's things that we need to do to close yeah. that gap. And and we we're not I don't feel we're doing that. So that's no. what my my thing is. Let's propose so we can close that gap. And then once in a while, every once in a while, we're going to get a Frankie Shiliano that's going to go in that, and, and BC is going to win four three. Mm-hmm. But but if our kids are conditioned for that grind and conditioned to be able to play at that level and play at a national level, I think we can close it. And then every so often, everybody knows there's a special birth year where you're going to have you know 15 phenomenal BC kids where we're yeah. going to have a real good chance of beating them. You mentioned that, you know, we're not doing enough out here. You know, putting novice provincials together is a great idea. But we look further down the road at intermediate. Are, are we hurting ourselves by by having an intermediate division, do you think? Um, You know what? I, I like the caliber of the intermediate lacrosse. Like, I went and watched the uh, – I watched pretty much well, – I wouldn't say all of them, but a good percentage of the Junior B Founders Cup online. Yeah. And uh, I was told you got to watch the junior bees. You got to watch the junior bees. It's it's good lacrosse and it's and it's exciting. And and I went and watched it and and I was a little bit disappointed. Maybe the build up I thought was better. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And I said and I thought this is only my personal opinion. And I take nothing away from the junior bee championship because they they earned it. They put the time in. It just my assessment. I expected the skill level to be a bit higher because yeah. the teams that were in the final were the Gales and were the and were Orangeville. Yeah. And they had a lot of young kids, kids in there, but they had a lot of 21-year-olds, and I thought it was choppy lacrosse, in my opinion. And I thought our intermediates was better out mm-hmm. here. Like, the skill level and the decision-making were better. And, and it's, it's not because the kids were picked over in Ontario on the junior A clubs, maybe partially, but some of the other kids just don't, aren't able to make the commitment level or, or just weren't able to make the team, whatever the case was. I'm not, I don't want to get this spun on me. I'm not taking away from it at all. But yeah. I just think that the skill level that we have in the intermediate program um, was was very good. Like you're not going to beat a 21 year old or, or 12 or 13 20 year olds that their own drill have, might have had, or or the yeah. Gales might have had. I don't know the exact numbers, but I do think that our with a, we could take some of that intermediate talent and put it into into the Junior A program and then have a real good Junior A program, a Junior mm-hmm. B program that we can compete for the Founders Cup. I just don't think we're on the same playing field. I think we have to you know for me personally unify it. And I think our junior A program would get better, but those people will say, "Well, what about the bottom end junior A kids? They're not nowhere to play." Well, just you go take those kids, and maybe bottom end it might not be the right word, but the, the kids that don't quite crack the junior A's and go play junior B, then they yeah. go to the Founders Cup, and the 21 year olds play the 21 year olds. Absolutely. And, and and you know what I mean. So I just think that I haven't put a lot of thought into it, but that's just my opinion. I think if we kind of tried to get on the same pattern, unify across the, across the, the country, it would that's probably right. be better. I think. Yeah, and I think that you're what you're saying is, you know, you look at, you know, some of these guys that are, you know, Christian Del Bianco is a prime example. You know, he's been playing junior for three years, 
well, why are we allowing him to play 60 games or 40 games a year when he's playing intermediate A and junior A? When he can play just let's move him up and play junior A and, and the guys that aren't junior A caliber play junior B because we're sending a junior B team as BC as basically an all-star team because Coquitlam went, they didn't win the BC junior Bs and they were able to pick you know four or five guys from other teams to go to the founders. So if we move intermediate away and bump up the junior A, and that also will allow our junior B programs to become that much better, as you said, because we need to be on a better scale, not only in junior A, but junior B is at the same time. And that's what will happen if we sort of move away from intermediate and, like you said, go you know uniform across the country. Yeah, and, and that's and it's like – you know, you go back to the junior B's and you go play in Ontario and you got a you got a 17 year old that's playing against a 20 year old for Orangeville. You're like, oh geez, but yeah, he's been cultured all the way through junior B out here to be able to play all. Then all he walks back there and it's like, yeah, he's just a big kid from a different side of the country. That's all. Yeah, it's not a it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um. So how do people? You know, you're starting this movement for novice in, in the provincials. How do people get involved? How do people get on your side? How do people get in touch with you? Um, well, you know what? You can just I'm on the I'm on the the NLL website as far as the Roughnecks go, but it'd be two or three phone calls, maybe one phone call. You got Moses' cell number, and just get a hold of me and and just let me know. Like I've talked to Coquitlam, I've talked to Westminster, I've talked to JDF. Um, you know, I've talked to some people out in Mission. I have my feelers up in in the interior, and I've got nothing that that hasn't been a positive response. And uh, you know, everyone's on board for the whole thing, so it's just a matter of. You know, now I was gonna, I was gonna go, I was gonna propose it um, just as as a talking point, but now I have to go as a delegate in Maple Ridge. So now I'm going as a, as a Maple Ridge delegate, and it's on the docket for for a vote this year at the BCLA. And I know some of the bigger organizations that are on board have weighted votes via the numbers. The more numbers mm-hmm. you have, the more votes you have. So it, it's looking really good. Um, it's gonna be in in the kind of a you know, I'm going to need some help with it. Like, it's, I'm going to propose it. Then, then there's obviously got to be some committees put together. Yeah. And there's got to be some buy-in. I've got, I've got complete buy-in from the stealth. Um, yeah. I've talked to Dougie Locker. I've talked to Haji. You know, they've ran, they've ran their, uh, the junior stealth program. They've went across the country. They've, they've seen what, the, uh, what Ontario has. They've been to the Canada Day tournaments. Mm-hmm. So they know where, where kind of BC lacrosse is. So they're, they're all up for trying to expand, um, you know, trying to get us a little bit more competitive and get us closer to closer to closing that gap across the country. Talk to Darcy Rhodes um, and with the LEC. Um, I've, I've got, you know, I've got some, some good buy-in there because I kind of envision it as a festival. Um, if mm-hmm. anyone's ever Absolutely. been to the, you know, you ever been to that, that Pee Wee Championship, or that national championship, and it's, it's all done in the Iroquois Park. And we, yeah. have, we have a phenomenal like, place that we have at the LEC with a field house. And I know the township of Langley has been nothing but supportive for lacrosse in BC with the stealth and with the, any type of, you know, the mental cups. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to have the world championships there. And if you've ever seen the vendor village that they have in Ontario, I envision yeah. that out, out here with art. Like, you talk about trying to get some finances for it. You know, maybe you get the vendor village and they pay the LEC, which goes towards putting on the program. And yeah. now all of a sudden, because they are 9 and 10, and they are kids, and you're going to lose, and you want your freezies, and you want to, you know, mm-hmm. you want to be able to just kind of get away from it for a bit. You know, yeah. you have face painters, you got you got Bomber running around there, you got the hardest shot, you got Haji and some of the boys that, that are important to the young kids of BC mm-hmm. out there making them feel better if you don't win a championship of that weekend or you get knocked out. So that's what kind of I envision. And I know that takes a lot of volunteers, and I know it takes money, but, you know, we were able to... You know, uh, we, I would say Gordy Kaskin, our phenomenal, uh, 
a phenomenal group of fundraisers we had for TBC Peewees. We we put together twenty four thousand dollars for a trip across the country. Wow. Yeah, it cost us fifteen hundred bucks to go as it typically costs twenty six hundred. Mm-hmm. So if we have all these people band together and we can find money. That there's yeah. money to be found and and not, I'm a hockey parent in the winter and yeah. I find money for skating for my kid. I find yeah. money for, for kids to go in tournaments. I find money for the for the third jersey. There's money out there for lacrosse and you know, the opportunities with, with scholarships and everything now, kids are dropping out of hockey when they hit at, right after they finish Pee Wee, second year Pee Wee, they're dropping out to play straight field across because it's important and, mm-hmm. pe- and people are willing to pay. And, and I, you know, like there's people back at the festival, Teddy, that are watching at Pee Wee that are asking, hey, who's that kid? Oh, yeah. Who's absolutely. that kid? Absolutely. You know what I mean? So if, if they're not asking about the DC kids and they're looking at all the, the 10 Ontario kids, they're already in the queue. Now already our BC kids are already behind by the scholarship. And I know it sounds people might say most you're crazy, but it's reality. Absolutely. Like like Matty Brown's asking. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah. you know, there's guys back there that are asking and looking. You know, Taylor Ray and the boys are they're they're wondering what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if our BC kids are playing all these competitive games at a young age, and when they get to the Pee Wee, they're in the queue now. You're yeah. talking about, you know, the Jackson Smarts and the Jackson Fridges and whatever, however you want to talk about the kids. You know, in the corn blocks, they're in the queue for. Hey, I want to look at this kid and ban him. Yeah, absolutely. You know absolutely. what I mean. So it, it's a whole thing that that helps just the province, and then it does help the kids individually for their education and and their spots. Uh, before we let you go, obviously uh, you're getting set for the National Crossing Draft, Calgary Roughnecks. Um, you guys picked fifth. Uh, do you have any sense? I know you're not going to give up anyway. Any you know inside information? I know you let Bordy do a lot of that stuff, but. At five, where do you guys think you're going to go? Well, if you look at our roster, I, if I was Delady Teddy, which I wouldn't do, you have me on the show, I'd give you the goods. Um, but we're looking for an offensive left. Yeah. We need an offensive left at five. And, and you know, there's some – I spent – actually, I spent more time watching more games this year in the East than I ever have. I went back with the national – with our provincial team, and I was able to go up to Peterborough, and I was able to go to Oakville. Um, I was able to watch the game that was in, uh, in Whippy. And I was able to to get up to Brampton and watch a junior A game, and then I watched all the I watched all the mental cups, in that length, and I was able to watch uh, you know some I, was, I got to see some of the film from uh, Ontario that was in the West on the Eastern final. So I've seen a lot of lacrosse this year, and there's some real good Eastern kids coming into the draft, and that are offensive lefties that we like, yeah, um, and and that we're kind of targeting in that spot. But there's also it's a 19 league, and there's teams that there's there's a lot of spots filling up real fast. So there's going to be some quality players that we could you know acquire from you know via trades whatnot and then maybe yeah. be able to pick a, a more of a defensive player at five so the landscape changes predicated on the types of deals that you're trying to make but you know if you look at our roster you know we we got a real young real good right side of the floor and we'd like to have a bit of a succession plan not the dobes and chats are are going anywhere anytime soon but we'd like to fill a, a nice good young left-hander in there that could kind of take the torch and learn from those guys who carry it on down the road Unfortunately, I'm not in the draft and I'm not a free agent, so you can't sign me. Um, but I would gladly play for Calgary if I got the chance. Um, two guys that are young and having great summers. Uh, one had a great summer, Christian Del Bianco and Frankie Chiliano is still playing. Um, you can't be happier to see your two goaltenders uh, having summers like they're having. Yeah, it's it's pretty special for our group. We're uh... I know uh, we were able to get Christian. I, I wouldn't say ahead of the curve, but maybe that we ended up getting him in the draft when maybe people thought he would slide a little bit. Yeah. Um, we're taking no credit for him. He's, he does everything for himself, um, and, and he's, he's turned into a real good, real good teammate. Uh, and not that he wasn't before, but he's a, he's been a real good teammate. And 
his demeanor and how he competes under under the, the bright lights and, and the pressures of a national championship are unparalleled for a, for a kid that age. So we're yeah. we're very excited. Our organization is ecstatic about seeing you know he comes out as a Jim McConaughey and and the, you know it's funny how people like. So yeah, Kristen Del Bianco, did you see him in the middle cup? He's great. <laughs> who does he play for? They don't know where he is and where he's going to drop, but yeah. they know who he is, which is a feather in his cap. And, you know, Patty Cohen and the Coquillum Junior Anarch organization dear to my heart and, and they've done a great job nurturing him and you know, we're pretty we're pretty excited to have him have him there and, and then you then you flip it over and you look at the, the WLA playoff MVP in Chiliano. Yeah. And uh you know, um, you know, he got mentored really well by Mikey Poulin, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's ready to take the next step. And, and you got the two, the two youngest, potentially, you know, the, the best young guys across the, across the country in junior Absolutely. and in senior A lacrosse. So, um, will it equate to the NLL game? We think so. You know, we, yeah. we think that both kids can step in and and play service, serviceable roles. And you know, they're both, you know, back in the day, you know, Frankie still is a Coquitlam kid, and you know, Christian being a Coquitlam kid, and. And those guys drive together. They came together all the time for for practice and 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 the games when when uh, when, when Christian was traveling. So you know we're the the future looks bright for us, and uh, yeah. you know we're excited. And the organization's more so excited. Um, I, I was talking with uh, Sato after Game Three of the Man Cup last night, and we were just talking about the number of shots that Frankie's seen the last two games. He's seen 115, and uh, Delves got I think he faced like 60 in one Minto Cup game in that final. As a coach, are you okay? if your team is giving up multiple shots as long as those shots are from outside, or would you rather see low numbers no matter where the shots are coming from? Um, I would rather, for me, like if you look at Colorado's defense, which is Coquitlam's defense, um, it's goalie-driven. Let's, and, you know, let's be completely honest. I've watched film on them numerous times against against Colorado. He was, he was, it was, it was, if he was on, they were willing to give up 60 shots a game. 50 yeah. plus shots a game, and it's the same with the junior Adnex. They have Christian Del Bianco, so they gave up those shots. Um, to me, I don't have that philosophy. I don't like playing with fire. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather do everything we can to limit the shots on goal. Absolutely, we're, we're you know absolutely we're going to dictate for where they come from. Is that yeah. the type of defense we play? For sure, we do. But we're not so forgiving um, with those types of defenses giving that many shots. We'd like to keep the shots below 50 if we can. You know, if you, just you look at the pay percentages and stuff, you can keep them yeah. down. And if your goalie can play in the low 80s, you know, high 70s, probably more so in the low 80s is what we target in the NLL, you're, you're not going to give up 15. You're going to be in that target 10 to 12, and your offense is going to have to find you, you know, anywhere from 11 to 12 to 13 for you to be successful. So, yeah, my philosophy is is to limit the shots um, and still have great goaltending. Um, but uh, I do think you're playing with fire if you're goalie, especially in a one-goal game league. Um, yeah. You know, and and in a one off in the playoffs, if he, if he has a if he hits you a seventy seven one night and you're giving up sixty, you're not winning. Yeah. So, um, and that's not to say that anyone else's philosophy is not correct. That's just my personal philosophy on it. Um, before we let you go, uh, you guys relinquished the services of your good buddy Bruce Cod to Toronto in the off season. Have you found a replacement yet? Yeah, we yeah we pretty much have. Um, we I can't make it official until yeah. until we we made the signing. But uh, you know, um, Brucey, what a what a friend, what a, what yeah. a you know, believe it or not, young guy, mentor for me too. Like I learned a lot from him, and you know, I talked about the junior bees, and I was so proud of him. He put so much time and effort into that, and you know, that team played the game the right way. You know, I talked yeah. about the talent level, and I didn't want to take anything away from it. I was just trying. I was only making the comparative to our intermediates, but mm-hmm. I thought our guys could hang in there. Um, but you know he he put so much time and effort in that I was so proud of what he did and 
those kids played the game the way the game should be played. And uh, for him to move on was tough for us. But there's a lot of good, you know, there's a lot of good candidates out there that we thought that can step in and show that role, that have put the time and effort in um, to the game and love the game as much as we do. And, and, and you want to, and the important thing is you want to be able to, you're going to spend a lot of time with them. You're going to spend 20 plus weeks with them. So it's important that you find the right person that you want to spend 20 plus weeks with yeah. that understands the game that, you know, um, that believes in it, that has the passion for it, that wants to go to work. Cause a, a lot of people, you know, you think you put the shoot, suit and tie on and, you know, you're going to have a couple of pops and a cu- and some pizza after the game and that's yeah. the way for the NOL. It ain't the way you, yeah. you got, yeah. you, you get what you put in for it. And so the, for us to find the guy that's willing to, to put the work in and, and that has the character and the loyalty and, and the passion for the game and, and the determination. And, and then, you know, above all, it has to be trustworthy too. You have to, you have to be able to trust that he's going to deliver your message and he's going to believe in what you believe in. And uh, to find that guy um, with all those attributes is, is not easy. And there's a lot of great candidates and a lot of good people out there. And, and Teddy, it sounds really funny, but I almost, as a group of us, it's, it's just 40, myself, Bobby McMahon, and even the ownership in Calgary has their say in, in who we hire on. It's almost guilty that, I feel guilty that, that that you have to pass judgment on some real good people, mm-hmm. and it's difficult. And it's and it's like friendships are out there, and it's it's really tough decision for us to make. But we like to we like to think after visiting everything else, everyone was right there. But we like to think that we ha- we have a candidate that we, you know, that we like to to say that you know what he's the guy. And, yeah. and I'd love to tell you, Teddy, I really would, but Woody <laughs> probably be all over me because. You know, I don't know how all media stuff works in Calgary. I stay out of it also. <laughs> when when, when Bordy says most, you can tell people, I'll tell people. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, I appreciate uh, you always giving us the time. Uh, you're one of my favorite guys to talk to. Uh, best of luck with the initiative, get the novices and the provincials. And, you know, you know my number, and I'm always here to help. But, uh, as always, thanks for giving us some time, and uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, early September. Teddy, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch you score that winning goal in the Man Cup time and time again, buddy. I love it. <laughs> thanks, Mouse. Okay, buddy. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. There he is. That's Kurt Miloski of the Calgary Roughnecks, head coach. You heard him talk about uh, my Man Cup winning goal. I don't actually know if it was a game winner, um, but if you are watching the Man Cup and you see the uh, CLA commercial uh, right near the end, that is me. Scoring on my good buddy Pat O'Toole. Uh, Twister 5-hole followed up by the jump glass. Um, I know Andrew McBride's tired of seeing that commercial because it airs, well, in game one, it aired almost every other commercial break. Um, but come on. Give a guy a break. I like scoring goals. I like to jump the glass. It's what I do. Um, thanks to Kurt Miloski for stopping by. And soon to be announcing a defensive coach. Um, many people could speculate who it could be, uh, but as he said, there are a number of names out there. Um, I will let the cat out of the bag. Um, not only am I not coming out of retirement to play on the left side for the Roughnecks, I'm not their defensive coach either. Um, so we got that out of the way. Uh, who it's going to be, we don't know. Uh, I would imagine... Uh, Mouse will probably go with somebody he's familiar with. Uh, that's what he's done in the past when he had Bobby McMahon and uh, Bruce Codd with him. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see Interesting to see uh, which way they go. Could be a former Roughneck. Could be a former teammate of Mouse's. Could be somebody completely off the page um, that Mouse has been keeping in his back pocket. Uh, so we'll just have to wait to see who they go with. 
Uh, as mentioned, uh, they do pick fifth in the draft behind Saskatchewan twice, Toronto and Georgia. Uh, he said they're looking for uh, a lefty O guy. Uh, at five, you're probably looking at Holden Katoni, uh, which is a very possible and likely guy to go in at number five for them. So uh, he's an Alberta guy. Uh, it makes sense. Um and would be a great fit for them. Another young guy, uh, great speed, great athleticism, and a really good shot. So uh, if all things kind of goes according to plan, could be Holden Katoni. Could be anybody. Well, anybody that's in the draft. Um, there are a few names that have been added to the draft list as uh, we get closer and closer to the National Lacrosse League draft in uh, just over two weeks, less than two weeks' time, actually. Uh, Matthew Hamilton from Victoria Junior A's, Braden Hill from the Six Nations Arrows, Dougie Jamison from the Arrows, Seth Oaks from the University of Albany, Tanner Renich from Poco Junior A's, and Brian Rice from New Westminster Junior A all renounced their eligibility from college. Um, so those names have all been entered into the NLL draft along with the other 100 or so names that are probably already on that list. Uh, if you go to NLL.com, click on the News tab, uh, you can see the list of guys that have given up their eligibility. Uh, no full list of guys that can be drafted. Uh, the NLL is rarely putting out a full draft list, but uh, if you go to IELLindoor.com, that's not the right website anymore. I still call it that. Go to Inside the Cross slash Indoor. You can go and find Stamper's mock draft. Uh, he's also doing um, some player spotlights. Go to NLL.com. Uh, Mia Gordon has some player spotlights as well. And that's kind of where we're going to go um, here on this week's Soapbox. I appreciate everything that NLL Productions is doing, uh, that Mia Gordon is doing, to get these you know little one-minute clips of lacrosse, of the of the guys who are going to be drafted up so people can see. It's great. It's been something that the National Lacrosse League has been missing for years. We need to highlight our players. We need to show uh, their marketability. We need to show their talents. We need to let people know who these guys are coming into the draft other than just, you know, a write-up on Inside the Cross or a player preview on Swarm It Up, whatever it may be. We need more videos and more little snippets of what these guys do. Now, here is my issue. The National Lacrosse League is the premier box lacrosse league in the world. Okay? We can all agree on that. These players, mostly and primarily the Canadians, all play indoor lacrosse somewhere in Canada. BC, Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, Manitoba, wherever it may be. Yes, a large chunk of these kids do go to college in the States, have spent four years plying their trade in an NCAA university college setting. That's fine. If we were talking major league lacrosse, then I'm all for letting you know where these kids went to college, what they did in the NCAA, if they were all Americans, if they were all conference, if they led the nation in scoring. I'm cool with that. But this is box lacrosse. This is the National Lacrosse League. So why, when guys get drafted or when we do these little videos, do we constantly remind people where they went to college and what university programs they're from? 
shouldn't we be saying that Michael Messenger is uh, a Coquitlam Junior Adnac graduate, um, that he's been playing for the New Westminster Senior Salmonbellies in the WLA. He was one of the top picks in the WLA, that Challen Rogers was one of the top picks in the WLA and the major series lacrosse league, spent the summer playing for Oakville, um, that Holden Catoni is a Peterborough Laker, that he's an Alberta Like We keep talking about all these draft picks, and all I hear and see from NLL Productions, is where they went to college. It makes no sense to me. Now, I know there's always been a bit of a rift between the National Lacrosse League and Summer Ball here in Canada. The leagues have never really gotten along together. They don't like to partner with each other. They don't like to work in conjunction with each other. But this is a box league. And these are box lacrosse players. So we should be telling people where they played their box lacrosse. You can sidebar mention, oh, by the way, Mike Messenger was a four-year standout at Limestone College, or Limestone University, sorry. You can say that. I'm fine with that. You can add that in. But we need to focus more on their box skills than their field skills. Now, if it's an American... We can say, yeah, you know what? He played four years at Denver University. He was a two-time All-American. If he didn't ever play box, then you can talk about his field pedigree. But this is an indoor sport, a box lacrosse sport. And when a guy gets drafted, like me, for example, when I was drafted, it was the Rochester Nighthawks, like Teddy Jenner from Mercyhurst College. That's great. I went to Mercier's. I'm a proud alumni of that college slash university. Super. But I'm a Victoria Shamrock. You know, we need to start recognizing guys' roots. And the roots of the National Lacrosse League are indoors. Do you really think Derek Keenan, when he stands up to the podium in two weeks we'll say and with the first overall pick in the 2016 National Cross League draft the Saskatchewan Rush select from Quinnipiac University Ryan Keenan if that happens I may kick my computer what Keenan should say and probably will say is with the first overall pick the Saskatchewan Rush are pleased to select from the Brooklyn Redmen my son, he won't say that part, Ryan Keenan. Now, here's an issue, and this could be part of the problem. Go to Google and type in Ryan Keenan lacrosse and see what comes up. What comes up is his field stats. Now, that could be an issue that the box lacrosse community has, is that we don't get our information out there properly. We don't have the resources. A lot of these teams and a lot of these kids' games aren't on film. And that's a big issue. Like, you can go and all those guys that are first-round picks that play NCAA lacrosse and all those videos that Mia Gordon is showing through the NLL production site, a lot of that footage, especially the field stuff, is free for them. They can get from the schools. There's not a lot of footage 
on some of the Canadian kids because a lot of those games aren't streamed online. And if they are, people have to go and pay, you know, the Western people, or if you're trying to scout a Western kid, you have to pay four or five bucks to go watch a game on archive just to cut a clip. So I understand that the information isn't readily out there, but it's not like it's hard to find. You know where these guys play. Honor that. Embrace that. You're a professional box lacrosse league. And you should be telling people where these guys played box lacrosse. And with that, I will get down from my soapbox. Now that I have climbed down, let's move on uh, to something that kind of evolves around the draft. Uh, it is the free agent signings, and there have been some since last time we talked. So let's head over to the Newswire. Probably the biggest news um, on the free agent market this week uh, was the Vancouver Stealth signing the six-time WLA assist king Corey Conway uh, to a two-year deal. Conway hasn't been in the NLL since he split time with Calgary and Edmonton a few years back. He didn't play last year. He didn't even get an invite to camp, and he was kind of bitter about it. Um, he got himself into incredible shape. He cleaned up his lifestyle, cleaned up his act, and he had one of the best summers he's had with the Victoria Shamrocks. It ended a little early. Uh, he would love to be back east playing for the Man Cup right now, but... Uh, the fruits of his labor have paid off, and Doug Locker uh, has seen those efforts, and he has signed him to a two-year deal. So that now gives the Vancouver Stealth a very, very interesting right side. You have Reese Dutch, Joel McCready, Garrett Billings, and now Corey Conway. Uh, I saw some people asking, well, does that mean that you know there's going to be no Garrett Billings? Uh, when I talked to Doug Locker uh, a couple weeks ago, he said that Garrett will be ready and back and expected to be in camp and they expect him to be ready to go. And if you add Corey Conway to that mix, I like it. Um, you know, Joel McCready is a banger and crasher. Uh, Corey Conway is a pass first kind of guy. Garrett Billings is kind of a pass shoot kind of guy and Reese Dutch is a shoot kind of guy. So you have all four assets that you really need. And I think if you bring Corey Conway in, I think it's a great addition. It takes a lot of pressure off of Garrett Billings. It allows Garrett Billings to be a bit more of a banger and crasher. Maybe a, 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 a pick-and-roll guy with Reese Dutch and Corey Conway. Um, very Not as aggressive as Joel McCready, but I think that if you put Conway out there with Billings and you allow Dutch or McCready to bang around you'll get a lot of open looks. My issue with Corey Conway is sometimes I just like to see him be a little more aggressive, um, maybe find a little bit more of a pass or a shoot-first mentality. He's always going to be a passer. I mean, that's always going to be what Corey Conway does best. But there were just some times watching with the Victoria Shamrocks this year where he turned up quality shots and tried to force a pass. Now... I don't know if it's a confidence thing or what, but he has one of the best and most accurate outside shots going. Um, it's never overpowering. Uh, a lot, oftentimes, it's a bit of an off-speed changeup, 
but it's lethally accurate when he takes that shot and he can put it anywhere. Um, he has a silky smooth short side backhander a la Tracy Kluski. Uh, he's got a great over-the-top jump shot uh, that can be quite successful, but he's being brought in to be a passer. And I would imagine that he'll probably be uh, setting up the power play. Uh, it's a great spot for him. It allows him to feed all four spots and get guys open, and it also allows him a straight-on angle to the net for that shot if he can get it. Uh, and when you talk about a power play, that will have uh, three of, most likely, Creed's, Billings, Dutch, and Conway, along with Shuss and Corey Small. Uh, that's a pretty strong power play unit. Uh, Victoria will have, or Victoria, Vancouver will have to be better um, offensively, they were one of the worst teams in the National Lacrosse League scoring last year. Uh, they'll have to be better. And by bringing Corey Conway, I think they've addressed some of those needs. Um, much like Calgary, and you heard Kurt Miloski talking about it, I, I think Vancouver needs uh, an offensive lefty. Uh, they took a bit of a hit when Jordan Durston went down with a knee injury. Uh, he's scheduled to have surgery, so that's a six- to nine-month kind of timetable, which puts him you know, into March, April-ish area, depending on on how quickly he recovers. Uh, they do have some guys in the mix that could play in that spot. They used Cliff Smith mostly in transition last year, but they moved him up into the offensive role a few times so he can play there. Uh, they have Connor Goodwin, who's uh, having an incredible season uh, with Maple Ridge right now, so he's a great option, and if they can get him into camp and get him working, I think that might be their best option. But, you know, there are guys that they need to figure out spots for, and, you know, Evan Messenger is going to be there in camp. He's a the guy they're going to look at. Uh, Mitch McMichael had a pretty good year. With Langley playing a predominantly offensive role, they like to use him in transition off the draws, uh, but maybe they want to slide him up if they need numbers. So, you know, there are some possibilities. But I think their best bet would be try to find one in the draft, but they don't pick till 11. But if they can find a, if there's a lefty available at 11, I, I'd like them taking a lefty forward. But as always, Doug Locker keeping things tight to the vest, as most GMs do around this time of year. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, but there were some other signings in the National Lacrosse League uh, this week. Um, Vancouver also making some news uh, by signing Tyler Richards to a one-year deal. So they bring him back. So it's uh, T. Rich, Eric Penny, and Cody Hagedorn will be the three guys in camp. I wouldn't be surprised if they might bring in another guy just to even out the numbers. So there's four guys in camp. Uh, Adam Shute of the Victoria Shamrocks signed a one-year deal with the Georgia Swarm. So now they have four bodies in net, and if you look at Steven Stamps' um, draft mock, he had them taking a goalie at four um, by bringing in Adam Shute. That already has them at four, 
with Poulin, Brody McDonald, Zach Higgins, and now Adam Shute. So that's going to be a very tough goalie competition in Georgia. So by bringing in a fifth goalie uh, might not be their best move, which could throw things off if they don't. But um, it could actually throw things off for Calgary, depending on the severity of Jesse King's knee. Because if King is out for an indeterminate amount of time with a knee injury that will most likely need surgery, that could lead them to taking Holden Katoni, which could really upset the Calgary Roughnecks, who I know would love to get the Alberta native in their backyard. Uh, the Black Wolves re-signed Kevin Buchanan to a one-year deal. Speaking of the Roughnecks, uh, they moved Chad Cummings on the active roster from the holdout list, signed him to a one-year deal, along with second-year players Tyson Bell and Kellen LeClaire. The Mammoth signed Conrad Chapman, Mike Woods, and Ilya Geich to one-year deals. The Bandits signed Mitch DeSnew to a three-year deal and Craig England to a one-year deal. The Black Wolves also signing Tyler Roche to a one-year deal. So uh, teams making moves, signing guys. And just remember, just because a guy signs himself to a one-year deal doesn't mean he's necessarily on the team. It just means he can go to camp. So a lot of these guys on one-year deals that are, are free agents, a lot of times that's why they are signed to one-year deals, just so they can be in That'll do it for another edition here on Off the Crossbar. Uh, next week, we're going to have, uh, hope to have Steve Govett on the show from the Colorado Mammoth. Got a lot to talk to him about him because they are in a very tough position being, you know, a centrally West located team, um, the only American-based team in the West. So they have some challenges drafting guys, but they have done an incredible job over the last few years of wheeling and dealing on the free agent market. Uh, just look at some of the names they've got. Ily Geich, Mike Mallory, uh, just to name a few. Um, and Govett has always, always been good at picking off the wire. So we hope to have Gov on. And we're going to ask him about beach lacrosse, uh, something that the Colorado Mammoth are doing, a three-on-three tournament. The crew over at uh, the Lacrosse Network are doing a really cool thing. They're asking for your suggestions on lacrosse hybrid sports. Uh, they have a really cool video up on their YouTube channel right now, uh, Lacrosse Meets Tennis. It's actually pretty cool. Um, and it's just another way to keep your stick active, get out, enjoy the weather. If you don't have you know, a lacrosse box nearby or a wall, uh, get a friend, go play some lacrosse tennis. <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. Um, and there are other ways to get your stick in your hand and, and just get out and about other than just hitting a wall. Uh, there's lots of things you can do. Um, so we'll have us to talk about next week. And, of course, we will have crowned a Man Cup champion by then, so we will have plenty to talk about in a week's time. So that will about do it for this week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Again, if you want to get a hold of me, email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Uh, thanks to Kurt Miloski for stopping by, and best of luck with his initiative to get the novices into the BC Provincials. If you'd like to know more information, or if you'd like to get in contact with Kurt, just drop me an email and I can hook you up. And so, yeah, that'll be another edition here on OTC. We will talk to you in a week's time. Enjoy the games, everybody. Be excellent to each other. I am-